If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open to Mark chapter 8. We're going to look at uh, a, a rather strange passage of Scripture, one of the oddest um, miracle accounts in the Gospels that we have in the New Testament, and hopefully the, the oddity of the miracle helps grab our attention a little bit more, but then, you know, draws us into ultimately what it's showing us about the work of Christ. So, uh, for the sake of getting a I guess the, the full impression or a fuller impression, rather than starting at verse 22, I'm actually going to back up just a little bit, and I'm going to pick up at verse 17. Jesus has just given uh, his disciples a warning about the Pharisees, and he's used sort of this, I don't know, somewhat from their point of view, this cryptic language when he talks about beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and they're talking it over one another, have no idea what he's talking about, and Jesus says this in verse 17. Actually, let me pause for a second and say, as we read, what you want to be keen in on are those statements or themes that have to do with sight, seeing, understanding, perceiving, insight. That's sort of the theme that runs through this particular scene in Mark. So, Mark chapter 8, verse 17, Jesus was aware of what they were discussing, and he said to them, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? They said to him, twelve. When I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, seven. And he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? Verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village, and after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. Then again he laid his hands on his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. And he sent him home, or he, he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Jesus went out along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he questioned his disciples, saying to them, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, saying, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but others one of the prophets. And he continued by questioning, questioning them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. And he warned them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. 
Bow with me in prayer. Father, give us eyes to see Jesus more clearly this morning through the preaching of your word. As we look in the pages of Scripture, we see that your ultimate goal and purpose is for your people one day to see without any barrier or obstacle the fullness of the glory of Jesus Christ, previously veiled by his humanity, revealed in the power of his resurrection and ascension. We want to see what now we can only see and lay hold of by faith. We ask, Father, that if there are those in this room this morning who have not yet come to see Jesus for who he is as Lord, as Savior, as King, that you would grant them sight this morning as we look to your word. It's in the name of Jesus that we ask it. Amen. Amen. So, an odd miracle, blind man brought to Jesus, Jesus spits on the eyes, that's weird enough, right? But then on top of that, this miracle doesn't quite seem to take the first time. So Jesus works his power. You know, do you see anything? Yeah, I kind of see stuff, guys walking around, kind of like, you know, trees. So he doesn't see clearly. And then Jesus has to come back and he does another work or another act. And then it's on the second act that the man sees clearly. So you, you're kind of scratching your head thinking, what in the world's going on here? Jesus didn't get asleep the night before. He's having an off day. What's, this guy's a particularly you know, tough case to crack. And the way to understand this little oddity in this miracle healing of, of the blind man is to recognize that it sits in a section of Scripture, in, in Mark's telling of the Gospel, that it sits in a section of Scripture where the issue that's being confronted or the issue that's being addressed is over how well the disciples see Jesus. Do they see Him for who He is? And do they see Him clearly for who He is and what He intends to do? So this two-stage healing that happens with the the man at Bethsaida is is not done because, well, Jesus didn't give him enough juice the first time, and then he had to come back the second time and do it again. Rather, this is sort of a a living parable, if you will, or a real-life illustration of where the disciples happen to find themselves at this particular point in time. And it's simply this, that in the same way that the blind man goes from being blind to seeing partially, to then ultimately seeing clearly, that's exactly where the disciples are. They're moving, they're in the process of moving from blindness to seeing Jesus, having their eyes open to see Jesus in part, partially, and yet they're still waiting for that second stage, that second act of healing or opening where they finally see Jesus in his fullness. So the way that that comes across in Peter's confession is this. Jesus asked the disciples, who, who am I? You guys have been hanging around with me for a while now. You've heard me teaching. You've seen me exercise my authority over nature, over demonic powers, over sickness. Who am I? Who do people say that I am? 
and they run through a list. Now, some people say this, some people say that, but who do you say that I am? And they see enough to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. They see enough to recognize that Jesus is the divinely appointed king that they have been waiting for. However, when Jesus then turns the corner and he begins to say, good, yes, I am the Messiah. And by the way, let me tell you what the Messiah, what your king has come to do. He's come to suffer and die like a common criminal. That they don't see. When they see Messiah, they see triumph, victory, right? Nothing but positive. Jesus is letting them in for the very first time in Mark's account. Jesus is letting them in on the fact that actually there's more that you still need to see, and that is the fact that I'm going to be a suffering Messiah, and that they just can't see. So the age-old question then that's put to the disciples is put to everyone essentially. At the end of the day, the most fundamental question or the question that really determines whether or not you see or whether or not you're still blind in your sin is how you see Jesus. So let's make a couple observations. I'm going to go ahead and give you the, the outline that we have. If you've got sermon notes, it's already there in your, uh, in your notes. But let me run through this so in case you know, we start running fast and furious and I skip over anything, you've already got it. Here's the three points that we're going to try to make as we go through here. Number one, looking at this section of Scripture, Jesus is our light and our sight. He is both what we see and how we see it. He's our light and our sight. Number two, we see Jesus fully and clearly in the pages of Scripture. And number three, we will see more fully and clearly in the future. Now, some of you astute observers have noticed the super cryptic code at the end of these three points, right? And you're wondering, how do we crack this code? All right, this is shorthand for me just to help me keep on target. Here's, here's what it means. The, the equal sign on points one and three essentially are a way to remind ourselves of the fact that the truth of point one and three is essentially shared in common with the disciples in this passage and with us. That one and three is true of the disciples in Mark 8 and true of us in 2016. Point number two, the plus sign, is a way of saying that when we drop down in Mark chapter 8 and we compare where the disciples were with where we are, there's a very critical sense in which we stand at an advantage that the disciples themselves did not even have. See, you follow? First and third point, this is true across the board. Second point, we're trying to hone in on a unique blessing that God has given us that even the disciples did not have at the time of Mark 8. Okay, so point number one, Jesus is our light and our sight. Two things that we want to get across here that you need to notice in terms of the commonality 
or the similarities between the blind man that Jesus heals in two stages and the disciples who are struggling to see in their own progression of stages. Number one, first, should be fairly obvious, sight is given to the blind. Sight is given to the blind. A blind person does not make himself or herself see. If they could, they wouldn't be blind. In order for the man at Bethsaida to be given or to receive sight, to have sight, it has to come from the outside breaking in. He doesn't have the resources, he doesn't have the ability, he doesn't have the power to, re to restore his eyesight. It's a gift. It's an act of kindness that he would get that. When we look at the disciples interacting with Jesus, and especially as we read it in Mark 8, one of the things that we, can, that we tend to do when we come to at least Mark's account as we say, yes, 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 sight is given to the blind, but Jesus ultimately does ask Peter and the rest of the disciples, who do you say that I am? What do you see? And Peter sees correctly. He sees that Jesus is the Messiah. One of the things that Mark doesn't include, but Matthew does in his account of this episode, remember, is Jesus' response to Peter's answer. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, speaking for all of the disciples, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the King that we've been waiting for. And Jesus responds to that by saying, you're blessed, Peter, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. In other words, however little or however much the disciples see they see Jesus, their eyes are being opened to see Jesus because of God being good and gracious to them and showing them His favor. They don't, any more than what the blind man before them did, they don't open their own eyes, rather they have their eyes open for them. Number two, sight is given to the blind. Number two, the only way that sight can be given or that sight can be received is through Jesus. The only way. There is no other way that the blind man is going to be able to see unless someone takes him to Jesus because no one else has the ability to heal him. Similarly, there is no way that the disciples will come to see and know and understand who Jesus is except by being with Jesus. So, look at a couple of statements. We'll put them up on the screen for you. A couple of the statements that Jesus makes in, in John. This is in John 12, 46. Jesus says, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Notice, this is universally exclusive. Jesus says of himself, I have come as light into the world. That light is for anyone. Universal. 
anyone that is who believes in me. How will you see your way out of darkness? How will you see light instead of darkness? The only way that you see is if you see Jesus. But if you can't see, how are you going to see Jesus to begin with? Well, it must be that the one you need to see carries within himself the power to enable you to see what he wants you to see. So, the way that it tends to work is this. Like, if, if you're at the house and you need to find, you know, there's, your kids lost your car keys or something like that, and you're searching the house, and you're having to look under the couch and under the bed and stuff, but it's dark under the bed, you can't see what you need to see. So you go and you grab a flashlight, and you use a flashlight as an instrument or a tool to see or to search for what it is that you're looking for, what you need to see. If something's too small, you get another instrument, like a magnifying glass or a microscope, or if it's too far away, binoculars, telescope. You, you have to have something else to enable you to see what you can't see for yourself. With Jesus, it doesn't work that way. There is no other person or no other way to see Jesus except by Jesus himself. That's why... Of all the things that we can do as Christians, as followers of Christ, the very best thing that we could ever do for people who are still walking around in blindness is to bring them to Jesus. But listen, 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 listen. If the healing of the blind man and the gradual sight of the disciples is to tell us anything... We have to recognize the fact that we can bring someone to Christ, but we can't make them see. Because Jesus himself says, you only see, you only get light when you believe. Me. In another passage in John, earlier, John 9, verses 39 through 41, we'll put this up on the screen as well. After another miraculous healing of a blind man, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We're not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Clear as mud, right? See, here's the catch. Here's the paradox. The blind man only gets a chance to see if he goes to Jesus knowing that he's blind and wanting to see. Because the Pharisees say, we don't need you, Jesus. We see on our own. Jesus says, nothing I can do to help you. If you were blind and you admitted that, if you admitted you were in darkness and you needed someone to bring you to the light, I could do that. But because in your pride and in your self-sufficiency, you think you already see, you're blinder than you think. 
So the Pharisees can know plenty of things about Jesus. The Pharisees can talk face-to-face with Jesus. Plenty of other average people can encounter Jesus in the day-to-day comings and goings of life. And in one sense, they can see Him and yet, tragically, not really see Him. You can take a person to Jesus, but ultimately you cannot make Him see. That's a miracle that Jesus gives out of His goodness and His mercy. Just by way of practical application, because this is sort of where I am, uh, parents, and especially parents of young children, but, but teenagers and everything as well, grandparents, throw the grandparents in there too, as you're interacting with kids and grandkids and stuff like that. Be so, so careful that you don't claim for your children something that only Christ can give them. Be so, so careful that you do not claim for your children something that only Christ can give them. In this context, what we mean by that is that there is a good and right desire for Christian parents to see their children come to faith in Jesus Christ and to walk in His ways all the days of their lives and to follow Him. Your job, my job, as a parent or grandparent or aunt, uncle, whatever your influence may be when we're talking about younger kids, is not to basically get them to parrot back a short phrase and say, there it is, I heard it, they're in. No, you lead them to Jesus over and over and over again, as if to say, do you see him yet? Do you see? Do you see? Now? Now do you see? Because unless Jesus opens their eyes to see him in their little minds, in their little hearts, as the king that they need to rule over them, as the king that they need to give them victory over sin and death, unless God gives them the ability to do that, to see that, there's nothing that you can do to change it. But because that's something that God can do, I go back and rather than being hopeless or despairing, I just say, Well, there's no way that I can do this miracle, but I know who does do miracles. Jesus does. So son, daughter, don't let me just show you myself. Let me show you Jesus. And you bring him back as often as it takes. And then you pray that God would be good and kind and gracious to open their eyes so that they would see. If you have co-workers that are lost, walking around in darkness, other family members, we're we're thinking maybe more now adults, you know, shifting gears a little bit here. Don't be discouraged by the fact that your airtight, impressive arguments have not won the day with them. Your arguments were never going to carry the day with them. At best, 
all of your witnessing and arguing and showing and proving, all that that's doing is just bringing them to the point where they can have contact with Jesus. And then Jesus is the one who has to open their eyes to see the truth that you've been trying to share with them. And let's also add to that, in light of the fact that you see the disciples here with this sort of progressive eyesight, we also shouldn't be so discouraged if the process by which someone comes to see is long and slow. God in His grace and His mercy does come in at certain times and for certain people, why I don't know, and just instantly, instantaneously, opens their eyes to see. First time. Other people, not so much. Other people, it's like a little bit of light gets in. That's all they want to deal with, or all they can do. And a little bit more, right? I can see it's kind of daylight now. It's not quite so dark. And it's starting to see figures and shapes. See, here's the thing. If Jesus is the one, ultimately, that we're trying to see, and the one who makes it possible for us to see, then there's no way that we can predict or determine how that process is going to work or what it's going to look like. So we keep an attitude of humility, recognizing that no matter how great my frustration or my confidence is, at the end of the day, it's all about Jesus doing His work on the hearts and minds of blind people. And by the way, if He did that miraculous work on you, He can certainly do it on someone else. Number two. We see Jesus fully and clearly in the pages of Scripture. This is a point in time, like the disciples, Jesus is the only way that we get to see. And the only way that we get to see anything about Jesus is actually by coming to Jesus. You don't see Jesus unless you come to Him. Now, one of the things that also happens when you come to a passage like this is that you look at what happens here with Peter and the guys, and they, you know, they, on the one hand, they speak, well, Jesus is the Messiah, yeah, we recognize the King, and then Jesus says, yeah, and I'm going to suffer and die, and then Peter turns around and he actually starts to, you know, ream Jesus out. What are you talking about? We just said you're the Messiah. You put all this nonsense talk out, and then Jesus has to turn around and essentially equates Peter to Satan, the chief opponent, the chief adversary. So what happens is you come to a passage like this and you sort of, um, you make it, uh, your focus too narrow. Well, yeah, that's kind of how it is for us. We're just like the disciples You know, they saw some things, but they didn't really see as much as what they should. And yeah, that's where we are too. So, you know, he sees this part of Jesus, but I see this part of Jesus. Or I see maybe 50%. That person sees 80%. You you can't help it. It's It's just what it is. But what that kind of thinking does is it fails to recognize the fact that we're jumping in in the middle of the story and not thinking about how the story ends. In other words, when Peter and the rest of the guys see Jesus blurry or fuzzy, we see Messiah, but we don't see suffering Messiah. 
It's because they haven't actually seen Jesus suffer yet. They haven't seen Jesus resurrected. They haven't seen Jesus ascend. When they do see that, they don't talk like they're talking in Mark chapter 8. They talk like they do in Acts chapter 2. See, the advantage that we have on the other side of the cross and resurrection is that when our eyes are open to see Jesus, we get to see all of Him. All of Him. And the murkiness and the doubt and the confusion and the questions that the disciples had to trudge through trying to make sense out of what was going on is something that we're spared to the extent that our eyes are open to see Jesus. Let me show you some examples from Peter himself. You're, you're going to have to turn here because we don't have this on the screen. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 12. And then we're going to go to 2 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, Peter says, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. In these things which now have been announced to you, through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Do you hear what Peter is saying there? Peter is saying that, from, that throughout God's salvation work, he's always been showing and revealing himself to his people, but not always to the same degree. So Isaiah is sitting down and he's writing Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, right? Silent like a lamb, bruised for our iniquities. And he's writing thinking, who, who is this? When, when does this happen? And David writes in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Am I being a little overdramatic here? A little over the top? has no idea how this is going to find its ultimate fulfillment in the person of Christ. If what Peter is saying is true, I think it is, that means then that you see things now that men like Moses and David and Isaiah and Jeremiah would have loved to have seen. And you see it whenever you want. It's right there. You say, yeah, let me see Jesus again. And you start flipping pages. Second Peter chapter 1. I hope I never grow tired of this passage. It's one of my favorite 
in part because it's so ridiculous, the claim that Peter makes here. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 19. Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. So Mark 8, we see Jesus partly eyewitnesses of His majesty. I think he's talking about the transfiguration. We came to see a little bit more of a glimpse Verse 17, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So they saw and they heard with their own eyes, with their own ears. That is a tremendous gift. That is a privilege. And then he says in verse 19, And we have the prophetic word more sure, more certain, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. What what does that mean? We have the prophetic word more sure. More sure than what? What has Peter just been talking about? What he saw with his eyes, what he heard with his ears. And Peter says, more certain than you being on the mountain and seeing with your eyes and your ears, more certain than that is this. That is a staggering statement. Because I think ultimately what Peter is alluding to or what he would have us understand is that yes, Physical sight is a good thing. We all want to see and see more. But Peter says there's a a tendency for us to think, oh, if I were only there, I wouldn't have any questions. I wouldn't have any more doubts. Peter says, you have more to see here than what you can take in in a lifetime. You think that seeing something else with your natural physical eyes is going to give you more insight than the insight that's already been granted to you through the pages of Scripture? So here it is, people. When we talk about having our eyes open to see Jesus, and that means whether you're talking about open for the first time, coming to see Jesus for who He is, or that means having your eyes open to see Jesus more and more clearly as you grow with Him, you have to come to Jesus in order to see, but the way that we come to Jesus today is through the Word. At this particular point in time, there is no other way for you to be convinced of the truthfulness of Christ, to be convinced of the power and the glory and the majesty of Christ apart from the Scripture. You cannot do it. It's the only thing that God has left us with that shows us Jesus. So the Spirit comes now And now we see with our ears. We hear the message, and in that hearing, our eyes are open to see Jesus in the pages of Scripture like we had never seen Him before. If if you're a Christian here today, and you, like, we all get to those places where the Christian life just is a drudgery. 
right? Probably shouldn't have admitted that. I'm speaking for you, of course. Where the Christian life is a drudgery or all these things are happening. You can't make heads or tails. Listen, if, if you're trying to find clearer sight or clearer understanding by running to this person or that person or this church or that church or this book or that book and, and you're not coming to see Christ, to commune with Christ through the pages of Scripture, I, I don't know what you're hoping to see. God has spoken and He has spoken through His Word. If you would hear and see Christ, the only way that you will see and hear is through His Word. Last point, number three. For as great a privilege as what it is for us to be on the other side of the cross and resurrection and ascension, for us to be able to turn in the pages of a book and to see the whole plan laid out in front of us or flip with our thumb and scroll through the whole plan right in front of us on our phone. As great a privilege as what that is, Let's admit, we hope that we still get to see more than what we're seeing right now, right? Yeah, all right, good, yes. So, in this sense, we're back on the same ground that the disciples on were on in Mark 8. For all that God has shown us, by the work of His Spirit on our hearts and minds, through the pages of Scripture... For all that we've been blessed to see, as great as what that blessing is, as huge as what that gift is, there's, there's a certain sort of irony here in that just to see is to want to see more, right? Like, just like when you, when you taste something good, you just don't say, eh, yeah, that's pretty good. But to taste something good is to want more of it, what we have been shown, what our eyes have been opened to see, creates within us a longing to see more. And so on the one hand, we want to say, we want to agree with what Peter says in his letters, that, oh my gosh, I cannot believe what a blessing, what grace God has shown to give me his word. To say to other godly men in generations past, as badly as what you want to know, as badly as what you want to see how this plays out, I've determined that you're not going to see it yet. I'm saving it for these people in Columbus, Georgia to see. As great and privileged as what that is, I still have this hunger that says, but I want to see a little bit more than that. We're going to put these verses up on the screen. Scripture is not silent when it comes to this wanting to see more. Yes, we see, but as clearly as what we see, we will see more clearly and more fully in the future. Just follow along with these verses. You can jot down the references if you want, or you can just sit and let them wash over you. Hebrews 11.1 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
If you are a man, woman, young man, young woman, boy, girl, of faith, by definition, that means you are not seeing everything you want to see. Which then must mean it's okay to want to see more. You know there's more to see. So I want to see it. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Paul says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. You want to know more? You want to see more? Paul says there's coming a time when that's going to happen. Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You go through the hardships of life and the suffering and the beatdowns and the disappointments and the heartaches and you come to Scripture and it says, yeah, in the end it will all be worth it. And you say, I don't see that. You're right. You don't see that yet. But Paul says the glory and the perfection and the beauty that we want to see, one day we will see it. And every single test, trial, tribulation, heartache, hardship, sickness, disease, breakdown in relationships, breakdown in the physical body, there's coming a time when all of the glory that was being accumulated through those hardships, you're going to see it. And when you see it, you're going to say, ah, it really has been worth it. Romans 8, 24 and 25 For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Same point here. Having your eyes open to see Christ and to know his power and his authority, you want to see more than what you have right now. And Paul says, that's fine. You continue to bank your hope on the guarantee that that hope is going to be fulfilled, and one day what you hope for will become sight. And then 1 John 3, 2. We could give others, but we'll end on this one. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as he is. Our eyes have been blessed to see Jesus in the pages of Scripture, but to see Jesus for who he is in Scripture, to to treasure him, to marvel at him, to wonder at his majesty and authority, is to want to see him more clearly. And for every single person who's been granted that initial sight, God says, 
Through this time, you see with the eyes of faith, but there's coming a day in time when it's no longer going to be the eyes of faith. You're just going to see right in front of you. Jesus in person. You're going to see glory. You're going to see all of this plan worked out and finished and perfected and fulfilled. So this is it. The number one question when it comes to whether or not you actually are seeing what God is doing all comes back to whether or not you see Jesus. He's the light that gives us the ability to see. He's who and what we see. We see clearly more than sufficiently in the pages of Scripture when we look at the fullness of the Word of God to see His person, His character, His work, His future plans. And yet we still hold on to the fact that not everything that we have here in the Word has fully been seen in the way that we'd like. But that day is coming too. And how are you going to see those last, greater, better things? The same way that you came to see anything by staying with Jesus. You hold on to the end because there's no other way to see except to be with Jesus. You grab hold of Jesus and then let him go when it gets tough and fade out. You miss out on seeing what comes in the end. I'm going to close this in prayer here for, for just a moment. Let me go ahead and say, as we wrap up here, if you're here in this sanctuary and perhaps you feel some conviction or stirring in your heart and mind, you feel like you might be sort of like those people who, you know, have had a little bit of religion, a little bit of morality, a little bit of knowledge about Jesus, but you don't know if your eyes have actually been opened to truly see Jesus for who he is. You don't know that the center of your being, that what is most important to you is Christ himself. At the end of the service, I'm going to be in the back shaking hands as people walk out. But if you hang back, I'll stay as long as you want to talk more about this. And to turn to other pages of scripture and to show you who Jesus is and why he's worth trusting and worth following. If you're a Christian who's here today, you need to be reminded of the fact, beginning, middle, and end, the only way that you see is by returning to Jesus over and over again and asking for sight and asking him to give you sight through the reading of his word and knowing that because he's good and gracious, for anyone and everyone who asks for it, he gives it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We ask that your spirit now would do his work in causing your truth to be sealed in our hearts and our minds. Father, have your way in our midst so that eyes are given clarity to see what previously had not been seen. Cause us to be firmly grounded in the hope that what we still have yet to see will one day be shown to us. Thank you for what it is that we have in Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.